there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, show about money on the Global News Radio Network, AM640, Jack Hartle, my producer and co-host, I am Wolfgang Klein, your host of the show. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, lobbyists, um, non-partisan lobbyists. Uh, we have, backed by popular demand, Alim Kenji. Uh, he is the vice president of government relations for a company called Sutherland Corp. Uh, Alim, welcome back onto Hi-Fi Radio. I'm very intrigued by the uh, concept of lobbyists because as a Canadian, not as familiar with the term, uh, certainly pick up a lot of lobby activity uh, when I look at uh, American media. And uh, speaking of which, uh, do you think Donald Trump, you know, looking for support for his wall, uh, could benefit uh, from a lobbyist? Loaded question, and great to be with you guys. As <laughs> <laughs> you say, Wolf, I think the steel lobby is out there lobbying <laughs> him on that new wall that he's trying to build. Uh huh. Right? No, there you go. Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say I I believe that Donald Trump's best lobbyist is himself. Um, I think the way he approaches uh, issues and offers solutions. Uh, come internally from him. I'm not sure he would take advice from his cabinet, much less a third-party lobbyist uh, influencing him No to, one to knows lobbyists better than Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, and good to have you back in the show. Uh, so you've been working uh, in the cannabis space uh, recently. Please share with us uh, how and who you're lobbying for when it comes to the cannabis sector. Yeah, and full disclosure here uh, to uh, to your listeners, um, uh, one of my clients, uh, High Tide Inc., uh, is a, uh, a cannabis company. They are a client of, uh, of Canaccord. Canaccord has, has obviously raised a lot of money uh, for them on the, uh, the public markets. They went uh, public back in December uh, under the uh, ticker symbol HITI uh, on the Canadian uh, uh, Securities Exchange. And they have a, a really strong presence in Western Canada and Eastern Canada as well. Um, and they are hopeful uh, to to uh, be winning a store in the lottery system here in Ontario. So if I can just explain basically what's happening is the government of Ontario has moved from an open system of unlimited stores. Uh, and my math tells me that Ontario could support about a thousand stores across the province. They've moved from an open system to now 25 stores. The 25 uh, uh, winners of this lottery will be announced sometime uh, after Friday, um, uh, after uh, 24 hours after the close of uh, Friday, which could be on Saturday, uh, we could find out who the winners are. Uh, and it's one store per entity and uh, certainly hoping that High Tide wins a store uh, and is able to operate in the province of Ontario. Uh, we have Alim Kanji in the studio. He's a lobbyist with uh, Sutherland Corp. Uh, if you have a cause, you want a lobbyist, uh, look up Alim Kenji. Uh, so Alim, uh, 25 stores for the little province of Ontario. Yeah. 25 brick and mortar, that's it? That's it. And, you know, let me let me break down Infinitum, some... Infinitum or is so that... That's, for, for, a, that's the first phase, though, That's right, the Alim? first phase. Okay, it's good. the first yeah. phase. And, and, you know, Minister Vic Fideli and uh, Premier Doug Ford have, have talked about an open system. They've talked about the reason we've got a cap right now is because of the supply issues. Um, you've got about 100 and change licensed producers. These are the guys that actually make the substance right now across the country. And these are early days in the production of the substance. You know, you've got issues around uh, mold and spider mites and, and all kinds of stuff that are hampering the supply. And because of that, 
um, you know, the premier and uh, the finance minister's cabinet have said, we don't want to open the floodgates just yet. We don't want to have businesses open uh, without product. But I think the product and the supply issues are coming on stream. The issues are being sorted out. But let me let me give you a quick a quick number. And this is really interesting. Colorado, where they've uh, decriminalized uh, uh, um, uh, cannabis, at the end of the first year, they had 147 stores in the entire state of Colorado. At the end of the first year in Ontario, we're expecting 25. Now, I expect th- this to open up later this year. Maybe we'll move to 50. Maybe we'll move north of that. But 147 versus 25. Keep in mind, Colorado has five and a half million people. Ontario's got just north of 14 million. (laughs) I I really find it hard to believe that they're having that much supply issues with the cannabis. With the amount of money that has been raised in the capital markets over the last, I call it 18 months, it's unbelievable to think that they're having these supply chain issues. And we also had had Bruce Linton on our show, and he said it was uh, the government infrastructure uh, that was more of the problem. The bottlenecks, yeah. yeah, It's government, yeah, because Bruce said there's no problem. He has lots of supply himself. Lots of supply. He he was talking about it, right in inventory. If they want it, here it is. But there is issues with transporting it. You can't transport it. You can't send it over to Manitoba and then bring it back into Ontario. Right. Which which causes a bit of a problem. So it's logistics. And again, we did expect, Jack, you and I, when having our analysts uh, on uh, in the cannabis space, that there would be short-term supply issues, but longer term, uh, it is a commodity. I still believe three years out, five years out, it'll be an oversupplied market. Uh, it is a perishable asset too, right? If they're producing it, uh, how long is it good for? I honestly, I don't know. Shelf life? Oh, yeah. I, bet, I, I would bet you they freeze dry it uh, or vacuum seal it. Uh, I, I think it has a pretty good shelf life, several years, I think. I think. Okay. Uh, it's not like maple syrup, Jack. Remember, maple syrup, it doesn't have a great shelf life. It loses its its its, its purity, if you recall, from our little maple syrup. Yeah, keep, it, keep it out of the sun. It'll be all right for a while anyways. <laughs> dark brown <laughs> bottle, eh? Dark and cool. Yeah. Uh, we have Aleem Kanji in the studio. He's a lobbyist. Um, we're just going to go to commercial break and come right back with Aleem and learn more about the life of a lobbyist right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. It is a show about money, making money, saving money, investing your money, keeping it away from the government. Your biggest expense, my friends, never forget this. Your largest expense is the government. It is taxes. Uh, But maybe you're on the other side of the government right now and you've applied for a marijuana retail license. Uh, We have Aleem Kanji. He is a lobbyist with Sutherland Corp., a non-partisan, I may add, lobbyist with Sutherland Corp. So um, in, in respect to this uh, retail licensing for uh, receiving a license for a, a marijuana brick and mortar store, uh, only 25 licenses will be awarded in Ontario. How many applicants do you believe uh, the government has looked at? And, and, and based on what factors are they going to make their decision? Right. So I, I think um, when it's all said and done, and in fact, the, the government's going to publish a list of everyone that's applied uh, in due course. Um, I think... Um, I think it's going to hit uh, a thousand, if not a little bit more than that. You know, the first thing, sorry, the first thing that came through my mind. So, if the government's going to publish a list of a thousand yeah. applicants, I wonder if those are uh, nine hundred and seventy-five applicants who don't get a license decide to go to America for a little vacay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your involvement with marijuana? Nothing. Oh, wait a minute, you applied for a license. Yeah. Well, you know what? There is that, and uh, everyone knows full well what they're getting into when they apply. But here's the reality. Um, I think the reality is that 
The market is going to open up. The reality is that these people that have applied have to know where they're going into. And so there are cities, uh, and I'll give you a couple of examples, uh, Toronto, uh, the city of Toronto and um, the city of Ottawa have opted in. Municipalities have the right. Ottawa opted in. Ottawa There's a surprise. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's where the bill came from. Can you imagine? Guess Ottawa what? Did, uh, that would be the best. They Ottawa opting out of cannabis. Ottawa Retail. opts no, in. No, we don't want them in here. Send Ottawa, it over to Gatineau. Hey, well, Ottawa opts in. Trudeau got, won the, the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Why not? So, it's right. And then and then he gets voted out in October. <laughs> Easy, Jack. That's fake news you're putting out yeah, there, but go yeah. fake news on it. No, no, that's, that's wishful thinking. News. Yeah. And we we got we got the two largest cities in the province that have opted in. But if you look at some, sorry, sorry, in Toronto, uh, yeah. How, how many brick and mortar do you expect in Toronto? So the so the government is committed to five stores in the city of Toronto, the 416, as we call it. In the greater Toronto area, and this is the region that surrounds Toronto, the 905 as we call it, they've talked about six stores. Now here's the kicker with the six. If you look at the communities that surround Toronto, and I'll give you some examples, Mississauga, Markham, Richmond Hill, uh, and, um, and Pickering, these communities have opted out mm-hmm. for now. And the thinking on that is that y- you can opt out, you can always come back in later. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these communities opted out before the um, uh, the new rules were in place, and that is moving to a 25-store system from an unlimited system. And that's sort of the thinking of, of some of these communities opting out. Now, you got to think about this and think, and there will be more 905 communities coming. I can assure you of that. My sources are telling me we are going to see other cities in the 905 opt out. So it begs the question, is this going to create some sort of cannabis tourism in the city of Toronto that is going to happen. Uh, that is something that is at play uh, as well. Um, we've seen Newmarket recently uh, uh, opt out as well. There will be other cities. And so if you win the lottery, you've got to know where you're going. You've got to have real estate locked up. You've got to think about the interior of your store. Security is a massive issue in these stores. So you've got to have this stuff sorted out. And so for that reason, I think the, the folks that win um, and, and are able to operate by April 1st will be favored if they are larger enterprises, if they've done this before, i.e. In, in other parts of the country. I think they have the advantage, uh, the first mover advantage of, of having been in the business to do it here in Ontario. And how about the individuals that are actually applying? Because I've heard of a lot of individuals, right? So it's not the high tides or the canopies of the world. Yes. It's individuals going out and saying, you know what, it cost me 75 bucks to apply for this lottery. Kind of like a free option. That's right, Jack. May as well go ahead and do it. What happens if they don't deliver on these stores? Yeah, by, and by the way, we do have Aleem Kenji in the studio. He's a lobbyist with the Sutherland Corp. Uh, we're, spoken, we're speaking about the licenses um, and the lottery system uh, for marijuana retail license that, uh, well, I guess is going to be announced, you said, on perhaps Saturday of this week. It could be Friday night. It could be Saturday. What it if is... we're going to be on TV and like, you know, right after the lotto, right after the lotto numbers? <laughs> <laughs> the winner's the name. The list of 25 winners. And by the way, there's a backup list of 25 for those uh, oh. those companies that can't produce, that can't open their doors, there will be a backup list of 25. So we're going to get a list of 25 winners and we're going to get a, a list of 25 second place uh, uh, recipients, if you will. Um, so there's there's uh, there's that going on. Now to your question, Jack, what can't happen uh, or what can happen rather if they can't open the door? So you got to, apart from the $75 fee, and there's probably people in this province that spend that much on lotto tickets every month uh, to put their name in the hat for a $75 application for opening a store. But it gets a little bit more complicated than that. There is a $50,000 letter of credit that will be drawn on against if you do not uh, uh, show progress in the 
30 days after winning a license. So you're going to have to show real estate. You're going to have to show that, that, you know, you've got the wheels in motion for opening a store and they will draw against that on a weekly basis. So 12,500 on a weekly basis over a month. Now there's also a $6,000 non-refundable fee, uh, for the, for, if you win for, uh, the review of that application over the 30 days. So you've basically got 30 days to put up or shut up or they go to the second place winners. That's unbelievable. Again, I've seen entrepreneurs in Toronto open up various establishments, restaurants, nightclubs, uh, various forms of retail. And that doesn't take weeks, that takes many, many months. So how can someone be expected to open up retail? They, they have to basically have a lease committed to, be committed to a, a lease. They, they've got to show that in 30 days. So the smart, wow. the smart money, the smart money already knows where they're going. They've got leases in place. Maybe they've got letters of intent with uh, landlords. They've, they've got that all locked up. Um, and, and the ones that are doing this really just for fun, if you will, are those that perhaps may win in on Friday or if it's announced Saturday. Uh, and, and they don't really have a plan of activation on how to open that store. Um, but again, you know, I think if we look at, at the free market sort of thinking of this government, uh, of Premier Ford and, and of his cabinet, I think we're moving to an open system uh, eventually over, over time. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, Aline, tell me something in terms of size of store uh, and, and product. Are they going after the American model or uh, how exactly? Because in the American model, there can be virtually no flower inside the four walls. It has to all be behind the back wall. It's like my father when he used to uh, purchase alcohol back in the 70s. Uh, he would have to fill out a form, hand it in at the counter, and then in the back room, they would process the order and out would come your bottle and away you went. The car was running. I was stuck in the car, by the way. Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd leave me in the car while I was running, I swear. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you yeah. go. It's, 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 a little uh, bit, yeah. it's a little bit different. And if you look at, at existing retail enterprises uh, for cannabis, and there are in this country, in Alberta as an example, um, you do have the product up front. Now, of course, you've got a supply in the back. Right. Uh, but but you do have the product You do have the product. Up front. Yeah, and, not, and, not the case in the United States. And yeah. you've, got a, you've got a massive amount of security cameras in the store as well. It almost looks like a casino, right? I mean, this stuff is, is highly valuable, of course. So security will have to be uh, a part of the plan of activation for opening your store. Interesting. Uh, well, keep us posted on that, uh, Liam Kinji. Uh, interesting job you have, interesting career, and uh, always a pleasure to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. If you're out there looking for a lobbyist, uh, Sutherland Corp, uh, Aline Kinji uh, may be your man. Well, my good friends, you know what happens after Christmas? Some of you decide to get divorced. So we're going to bring a divorce lawyer on because it's expensive and it can wreak havoc with your financial plan. It is a key component of a financial plan is a steady relationship. Uh, if it's getting rocky, you want to see uh, a professional. we got Michael Cochran, um, partner at Brody Thorning and Zabaris uh, LLP, right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Well, I guess it was back in 63 when eating my cooking got the better of me, so I asked this little girl I was going with to be my wife. Well, she said she would, so I said I do. But I'd have said I wouldn't if I'd have just knew how saying I do was going to screw up all of my life. Well, the first few years weren't all that bad. Okay, we're going to keep this one rolling here. It's Jack's pick. Uh, yes, indeed. 
It is January, and uh, well, according to Michael Cochran, uh, not related to Johnny Cochran. I wish he was. I love that last name as a lawyer. Give me Michael Cochran. What a cool name. Uh, he's, he's on the line here. He's a partner at uh, Brody and Thorning, uh, specializing in divorce law. And I've seen it firsthand, my good friend. Uh, yeah, c- Christmas rolls through. Shortly thereafter, people say, you know something? I'm getting divorced. Uh, so we've had you on the show before, and you always said, uh, careful, if you're thinking about getting divorced, uh, do some pre uh, planning uh, before you actually pop the D question uh, to your significant other. So let's, let's start with that, Michael. Again, uh, how can people help themselves without being too emotional and spontaneous with saying, that's it, I'm done? Yeah, well, you know, there are a lot of New Year's resolutions that are being implemented right now in January. Uh, most divorce lawyers see a, a real spike in calls. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've always said to people, don't uh, don't just uh, split up in an emotional fight at, uh, you know, a New Year's Eve party or something. If you're going to end it, make sure that you pop into the lawyer's office first and get an opinion about what would actually happen. And we, we tell clients that, you know, if you've got most of your information with you, you know, like what you're worth, what your income is, what the situation is with your kids at school, we can tell you in about 45 minutes how that case is going to turn out. All right. So I have to ask you, Michael, I have to ask you right here, right now, when Jeff Bezos called you up, he's worth $160 billion and he, he popped the question. So the, the D question, I guess, uh, what's, what's that going to call? What's that going to cost him? Well, he's in Washington state, which is the same kind of jurisdiction as Ontario. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they have the, the same approach that we do, which is a community of property. Everything goes into a pot and it's split 50, 50. And uh, they do sound like they're doing this in an amicable way, though, based on the, the news releases so far. But it does mean that his, they don't have a marriage contract. Uh, so everything's going into a pot. And uh, by the calculations that I saw, she would be able to leave that marriage with about $66 billion. $66 billion. But what's interesting about that case oh, is, is he going to have goodness. to... Is, is he going to have to dispose of or pledge some of his shares in order to pay her out? Because uh, he, uh, you know, he, who has that kind of cash on hand? Uh, if anybody does, I guess it's him. But uh, she probably is going to want to stay uh, with the status quo, at least for a while, to let that fortune uh, continue to uh, to grow. Well, it's um, also in her best interest to, to leave uh, status quo, like you said, because uh, he's running the business. Um, if he's forced to sell shares, um, it could be very disruptive to Amazon, which is the largest, but one of the largest companies in the world. We've been talking about how Amazon has been disrupting business after business. <laughs> oh, he's getting Amazon. And who's getting Amazon? <laughs> 60, some of, oh, that has been ultimate Amazon. Like, you know, he's going to need one of his distribution warehouses to store all of that billions and billions of dollars. Unbelievable. Yeah. Let's go down some facts here. This, this is some pretty fun stuff here. Again, we are in January. Michael Cochran's on the line. Uh, a very, very fine divorce lawyer. A good guy. I've spoken to him many times. Uh, he will not lead you astray. He'll give you some straightforward advice. And uh, I'm sure the first con- consultation isn't too costly. But here, here's some do's and don'ts. And, you know, obviously, probably too late. You, you hand it over the ring if you're, if you're planning on getting married. But there's, there's a sweet spot to get married. And it's between the ages of 28 and 32, having the lowest 
lowest rate of divorce. If you get married too young, uh, you tend to not enter the relationship with enough uh, maturity. And if you get married too late, you're already stuck and stubborn in your ways and a little too crunchy to, <laughs> to make a relationship work. So uh, that sweet spot, 28 to 32 years of age. But it's interesting here, women are more likely to initiate a divorce. Ladies set 67, or sorry, 69% of all marital splits into motion. Is that the case according to your facts, Michael, that this is led by women? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know why? Women uh, go out and, and buy books about divorce. They go out and they get advice from uh, therapists. They talk to divorce lawyers. Nine out of ten times when we're consulted in advance of a separation, it's because uh, a woman has come in to get advice. They're much more proactive than men are. Uh, they talk to all their friends. Men tend to go into a bit of a, a shell. They don't tell their family. They don't tell their coworkers. Uh, they don't uh, even tell their you know their buddies at hockey practice. And all of a sudden, you know, she says, "Okay, I'm going to take the bull by the horns. I'm getting the advice, and uh, here's what we're going to do." And and that that gets the ball rolling. That's that's not uncommon. <laughs> wow. Uh, so you know, uh, just to go back to something you mentioned a minute ago about um, uh, the sweet spot for getting married. Uh, one of the things that we do see at this time of year is a spike in people inquiring about marriage contracts because their wedding's coming up this summer, this spring and summer. So we do get people saying, you know, uh, you know, we've got we've got the wedding date plan. We've got the photographer and the cake and it sounds like Brittany in our studio. <laughs> hey, Brittany, that's you. He's talking about. Yeah, yep, she married? says. Okay, well, you know, the, the, the best time to start talking about the marriage contract is well in advance of the ceremony. You can't leave it to the last minute because people need to do some genuine financial disclosure before they get into this thing. You know, what do you, what do you own? What do you owe? Uh, you know, we call it uh, sexually, well, sorry, not sexually, financially transmitted diseases. Uh, because people, you know, you, do you want to marry a guy who's gone bankrupt three times? Do you want to marry a woman who hasn't paid her taxes for five years? Do you want to marry somebody who has problems with credit cards or gambling? You need to figure all that stuff out before you tie the knot. Sorry, you called it financial. What do you call that again? Financially transmitted diseases. Financial transmitted diseases. Isn't that brilliant? Sure, if, if, if I have a bunch of debt and I get married to well, anyone, uh, they're going to perhaps assume that debt. Yeah, they're going to find that, uh, you know, instead of having somebody who's making an equal contribution to buying a home, paying, for, you know, putting money into RSPs, there's somebody who's paying off debt throughout the marriage. And that's that's a real millstone around uh, around a couple's neck. I say who you marry actually is very important in how wealthy you are. It's one of the most important determinants, right? So it's, totally. uh, you know, like totally. you said, thinking long term. And, and as investors, we think long term, obviously. And marriage is supposed to be a long term proposition. But, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you plan just in case it doesn't work out that way. And I think a marriage contract, you know, like Michael said, is very important. Interesting. You know, speaking, speaking about investing, um, you know, the markets have been sort of up and down the last last year. And that uncertainty uh, contributed to a lot of people trying to figure out whether they're going to separate because, you know, good times, bad times, there's always a lot of separation and divorce. But when people have a problem uh, sort of figuring out if they're going to be uh, financially secure post-divorce, uh, they want to know what their portfolio looks like. And if the portfolio is on a roller coaster, it really makes people back off on a separation. Isn't that interesting? Uh, yeah. Mike, Michael Car uh, Cochran, he's a divorce lawyer with uh, Brody and Thorning right here in the city of Toronto. Uh, he said good times, bad times. It sounds like you're queuing up our next track for Hi-Fi Radio. We are going to get back with Michael Cochran and talk about divorce law, the costs, uh, the challenge, uh, the amount of time and anguish 
that occurs when you get divorced. But hopefully there is uh, greener pastures on the other side of that tunnel. Uh, more of it right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Yep, Jimmy Page turned 75 this year. Good times, bad times. Uh, we got a divorce lawyer on the line, uh, Michael Cochran. He's a partner at Brody and Thorning, again, specializing in divorce law. So uh, 10 facts about divorce every woman should know. The one that stands out to me is number nine. A big rock might lead to a rocky marriage. Yes, there's a sweet <laughs> spot. If you chimp out, you'll get rocky marriage. But if you overspend, you have a great likelihood of ending up in divorce. Uh, 1.6 times higher if you spend north of $20,000 on a rock. Yeah, he might so, be overcompensating for something there, Wolf, if it's $20,000 for a rock. Okay, there's 10 <laughs> facts about divorce every woman should know. It was written by a man, after all, right? <laughs> it was written by a man. Anyways, Michael Cochran, thank you for joining us again and saying bye on the show. Um, so where do we go from here in terms of divorce? Cost of, the, of a divorce, according to this article, says about $18,000 per person. And it can take up to three years to get that uh, negotiating complete. Uh, that's a long time, Michael. $18,000. $18,000 per person and three years to get it done. Doesn't that sound... No, no, no. This is totally on the low side. I've got clients who are spending in, uh, north of $100,000 on their divorce. Okay, we spoke about bezels already, but really, 100000 Oh, absolutely. That's, that's each. And uh, each. I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of a... Of Brittany's a eyes lit up. She, she, does, she doesn't want the big rock anymore. I say she, she, does she, not... she thought the wedding was expensive. Holy smoke. You, you want to make sure that's the right guy. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah this, this, always, this, this speaks to the importance of, uh, of speaking with a, an experienced lawyer before you get into this stuff. Because sometimes you think, well, I, we're going to try and do it ourselves. And we'll just get a, something off the internet and we'll sign an agreement. Or, or you go to talk to somebody and they charge, you know, $150 an hour, and, but they don't really do a lot of family law. And the next thing you know, you're into something that's out of control because uh, it hasn't been, you know, the, the disclosure hasn't been done properly or they've, they take a, a very hard line on custody when it's not necessary. So talking to somebody with some experience is really important because it ends up saving you money in the long run. Um, people, uh, who you choose as your lawyer is the most important decision you make about your divorce because that's the person who's going to guide you through the, this process which i liken to walking across hot coals it's <laughs> you 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 set your mind to it you see the coals in front of you and you walk across you get to the other side and you hope that your feet are okay but it's the people who go out on the hot coals and they go back and forth and they go sideways and they can't make a decision and they they change their mind or they they say, I want to go to court more. That's where it gets expensive. Even filling out the and completing the financial disclosure for some families can cost ten and fifteen thousand dollars, depending what their their you know if a husband has a privately held company, if he has a complicated stock portfolio, if he uh, you know has minority interest in a business. Those are all the things that have to be valued so that we can do a proper calculation of 
of uh, each person's net worth and then what, what people are supposed to get when they walk away. Michael, I think you're going to extend people, people's marriages just by having this conversation with us. Michael Cochran, he is a divorce lawyer uh, with Brody and Thorning. Uh, tell me how expensive it is to get divorced. I'm, I'm seeing here that it can take several years to roll up. But here's an interesting stat, just, just for fun. There's a premarital sex sweet spot, apparently. Study out of Utah says women with 10 or more sexual partners were more likely to get a divorce. Women with three to nine sexual partners were less likely to get a divorce. And women who had just two partners um, uh, were less likely to get divorced as well. But apparently, don't let the magic number keep you from, well, here it says, <laughs> according to the story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we, we always hear about people fighting over money. Uh, you say right now people are actually deferring divorce uh, because of money, because of the volatility in the stock market. Uh, yeah. do, do you think that's a wise move? Uh, well, you do want to know what you're going to get, and it makes it hard for the lawyers sometimes to give an opinion. Uh, you know, in, at least in Ontario, we have a system that says that there's a day that you separate, and that freezes a valuation. So uh, whatever your RSPs are worth that day, whatever your cottage is worth, that, that value is frozen, and we do the math based on that. But if uh, your portfolio is worth less six months into the divorce, you don't have as much money to divide. So it, it really affects the calculations that are done. And you so know, we have a, That's interesting. I'll tell you why that's interesting, because uh, one of our clients uh, had to have his assets freezed um, at NASDAQ 5,000 and 2,000. So his assets were frozen at the peak. His assets then unraveled as the market sold off, and he came out the back end on the short end of the stick. Uh, yeah. Correct? Whereas his spouse, or former spouse, came out ahead of the game. Yeah, and this so, so is sorry. Did, is there not an adjustment made date of date of separation versus date of distribution? There can be a huge delta in the market value versus real value uh, received. Uh, there can, but there there are complicated legal arguments that lawyers have to make. Wow, it involves you know applying for equitable relief from the court to say that you know it would be grossly unfair for me to have to divide my value my property from a year or two ago when the markets are so far down or my company's now worth less because of tariffs or something. Um, you know, those, those are things that you really are asking the court for special consideration. And I'll tell you why. Because if the reverse was true, you wouldn't want to be doing it. If you said that my company post-separation suddenly took off because the tariffs came off and my shares are now worth five times what they're worth before, you don't see people stepping forward to say, well, I'm prepared to share the upside with you. Yeah, but I, I have heard of people coming back after a deal saying, hey, you make more money, let's renegotiate. Uh, sure, that, that might apply for something like spousal support yeah. or child support, but it doesn't apply to property division. Interesting. Once it's done, it's done, yeah. Wow. I would say, too, just on this issue of uh, people sort of uh, um, uh, making decisions now with the markets the way they are, uh, a number of lawyers that I've talked to just in the last couple of weeks have said they found clients saying, get her done. I'm in the middle of a divorce. It's been going on for a couple of years. It's January. Get it done. I want out. I want my money, and I want to move on. And it's kind of interesting because uh, even this week on uh, Tuesday, I was in court on a case here in Milton, and um, very, very difficult. I had no uh, expectation that the case would get resolved. Uh, we got to court. Both people showed up. Get it done. Case interesting. Settled. You know, it's 100%. funny. I, uh, I have a cottage up in Min, and when I drive up to Min, and I head through one of those smaller towns, and I, there's a little van that drives by me now, and it says, get her R, done, get her done plumbing, get her done plumbing. I love it. Uh, Michael Cochran, we're out of time. Uh, you're a great divorce lawyer. 
Uh, I'm gonna buy my Thank wife you. some. I'm gonna buy my wife some roses, some chocolate, um, and I'm gonna t- take back that big rock and get her a smaller rock because it's gonna extend my marriage. Brittany, uh, I hope you're paying attention to all this stuff here, and I wish you a long, happy marriage. Um, but if you need to speak to Michael Cochran, I know his number. Okay. Uh, coming up next, it is gonna be a diatribe with Jack and I about the state of the union on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. I am Wolfgang Klein, your host, portfolio manager as well of Canada Wealth Management. Always good to hear from you. If you ever want to speak to Jack or I, you can always pick up a phone and give us a call or Google us easy to find. Um, but uh, it is 2019. Uh, it is a new year, new beginnings. And well, we have ourselves at least a bear market rally uh, in the marketplace. Um, Jack, I can't tell you how happy I am that uh, 2018 is so long gone and behind us. It, uh, it's that it's really quarter. funny the way that it ended, right? Because everyone had such high expectations going into the year with, you know, synchronized economic growth globally. U.S. was going to, they, they just did the tax reform coming out of November, December, Everyone was expecting 20-plus earnings growth. Yep. GDP growth was supposed to be 3% plus. Funny thing is, all those things actually happened. And guess what? We had a fourth quarter that was probably one of the worst in the last 100 years. Yeah, it was the worst fourth quarter in 100 years. Yeah, and the worst December, I think, uh, since 1930 or something to that effect. So December it, it, it just shows awful. you what, what the expectations were. The reality delivered, but expectations were just too high. And guess what? We have the exact opposite right now. We have expectations so low after the crash that we just had. So it does set up for potential for upside. Not that it's a guarantee, but there's a potential there. You know, and that's an interesting word you bring up there, Jack, because technically or academically, yes, we have had a market crash. Uh, I don't like to use the word. I don't like to even hang on to the word very much, but it's a very powerful word. It's a scary word. And, uh, you know, when I think of a crash, I think of 87, where it happens in a day or two or three. This happened in three months, but according to Tony Dwyer, uh, the amplitude and magnitude of the change of prices on the marketplace, basically a 20% correction in a three-month period, um, signifies a crash. And uh, it was a financial crash. It wasn't an economic crash. So there was a big difference there. So financial assets went down significantly, went down over 20% for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ in that period of time. But the economics in that period, although they've slowed, they've remained positive, right? Uh, so they're, uh, they're slowing down, but we're still not, we're not going into recession. And looking 12 months out, the economic indicators that we look at, maybe 20, 30% probability of a recession over the next 12 months. So the financial assets are really discounting something that might not actually happen. I, well, I think so. And again, we, we, we looked at 15 different factors that, that that report that was put out last week. There's 15 factors they look at for entering into a recession. And I think three of the 15 boxes were ticked. Uh, hence, to your, you're likely the probability of a recession. It's always there. It's just not the uh, probable outcome. It's a Right, low, but the financial markets have priced in 100% probability that it's going to happen because the market's already down 20%. The median drawdown in a recession is 24%. So we're basically there for a mild recession priced into the financial markets. Whether or not it comes, we'll see. Mm -hmm. But that's what the market priced in December 24th of last year. I want to then go back to Jack, you know, that that, that chart that I received from Fidelity, the index chart uh, that has T-bills, gold, oil, the Canadian dollar, uh, the U.S. market, the Canadian market, uh, and, and the power of time and the power of compounding. Um, 
to, to, to use time as your friend, you have to have a few things. Number one, you have to have a uh, uh, patience and you have to have uh, the stomach for, for the volatility. And I think that's the part that people just can't get their head around. Uh, you know, markets can fall 25, 30, 35%. Uh, it has never been a permanent position, uh, with the exception of the Japanese market, I shall say. Uh, both real estate and equities in Japan have still not gotten to their previous peaks. That, that, that's remarkable. Eh? The real estate market in Japan has still not gotten back to its peak set in the mid-80s. But everywhere else around the world, new highs basically were seen. Uh, that that was a, an isolated bubble. Tulips never got back to the levels that they saw <laughs> back in the, whatever time period that was, too. And guess what? Bitcoin may never come back either. So those extreme bubbles... You know, you don't want to make your long-term investment strategy planned around them. You want to, you know, buy a good diverse basket of assets, make sure they're high quality and let time be your friend. Time is the one thing that you really can't buy. And if you're young, you want to take it to your advantage. But and again, look at the the returns, jacking. And we spoke about this, but the mathematics is something that we got to really, really appreciate. And, and the difference of a... Uh, uh, 2% delta between a rate of return, in other words, making 8% versus 10%, the outcome is, is, is so, with such magnitude, um, making 10% versus 8 uh, to, to the point of being uh, parabolic. Yes, the, the power of compound interest kicks into the equation, but it, it's more than that. It's, it's the parabolic move um, using time and, and, and compounding uh, to, to come up with such a big number. In other words, a 25% increase in your rate of return can give you a 2 or 300% increase in the absolute number. And again, we spoke about the S&P small cap index. Uh, if you invested 100 bucks in it back in 1950 and you held it through thick and thin, uh, that, that, that $100 uh, in the small cap index of the United States has grown to $794,000. $794,000 from 100 bucks. It's just unbelievable. But that's the type of wisdom we like to share right here on Hi-Fi Radio. More money talk right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. That is right, my friends. Do not stop believing. Do not bet against America. It is a losing, prop losing proposition. And as a Canadian, I guess we can't bet against Canada either. Uh, I will say the American economy is much more dynamic. Uh, it has better breadth. It has better depth. Um, it has better diversity. Uh, the Canadian economy, uh, perhaps uh, the Canadian stock market outperforms this year. We'll see, uh, of course, it's all about oil uh, and currency. Um, but uh, the diversity of the American market is one that you just cannot uh, avoid as a long-term investor. And the good news is, with this market pullback, yes, the good news is things have become cheaper. So again, our friend Brittany in studio, she's the producer of the show, the running the board, our chief engineer. Yes, we have a sound engineer, Jack, uh, which is good. It's better than our conference call uh mp3 file that we put together not nearly as clean as this show here but um Brittany is a young gal and she is of course saving for her marriage and retirement and all the other things that uh, millennials need to do uh my friends if you're a millennial uh you have been given a gift and that is better valuations at least in stocks and for that matter jack you got to say uh, we spoke to a number of clients their real estate holdings are down too so that too should hopefully help some first-time home buyers don't know which pockets of the real estate market have corrected the most. Uh, so, yeah, the government put in legislation to, to tamper the real estate 
estate market. At least they, they've paused the, the, the exponential growth that we've had in real estate here in Canada. GTA is still expensive. I mean, it's going to be not easy to buy a, a house for a, a first-time homebuyer anywhere uh, in Toronto. Um, and the fact that interest rates are rising too make it that much more difficult. And just as last week, we actually saw that more Canadians now are filing for bankruptcy than we've seen this time, any time in this cycle in the, over the last 10 years, which is quite significant because interest rates are very low. Uh, they've come off that low base and it's already starting to squeeze some of the, the Canadian consumers that are over indebted. Well, that's just it. Again, we, you know, stocks, uh, the competitors are bonds. Uh, when investors look at placing their money, the first things they look at is stock versus bond, the interest rate versus the earnings capability of the business. With bond yields being so low, with equities, i.e. stocks pulling back significantly from their peak, uh, again, you're seeing much better valuation if you're a longer-term investor and tolerate the volatility in the equity market. But again, Jack, you make a very good point. Uh, I have the piece here uh, from the Business News. More people are going broke in Canada as interest rates rise. And that's why we saw the Bank of Canada basically hold this week and not raise interest rates. But our central bank has to raise interest rates. They must do it to normalize them so that when we actually get into a recession, they can stimulate by lowering interest rates. But the the number of uh, first-time filers, number of consumers seeking debt relief jumped 5% in Canada to 11,000 in November from a year ago, according to the Office of Superintendent of Bankruptcy. Um, 66% of uh, Ontario insolvencies in November were consumer proposals. So that's a good thing, isn't it, Jack? Well, the consumer proposals are where you go to the people that you owe money to and get some debt relief. So if you owe um, if you owe a dollar, you, you negotiate and get 60 cents on the dollar, get to keep the assets. When you actually file for bankruptcy, you have to give back the assets and you default on your, your loan or your mortgage. Um, it's not really, it's a good thing, I guess, but it sort of shows you what the tip of the iceberg is because those are the people that are actually proactively dealing with their debt. So they, they recognize that they can't afford it and they're going to whoever they owe money and, and negotiating. Like I said, it's a tip of the iceberg because the next phase will be the people that actually just sort of hide from their, the people that they owe money to and actually default. Just to explain that people hiding. In other words, you, you think they're, they're homeowners with mortgages? Uh, and, and they, they... Or, or consumer debt, whatever the case is. They just recognize that they can't pay it and they're going to sit and hide as long as they can. We're, I don't know where they're hiding, but they're not going to go out to the, the people that they owe money to and, and deal with it, which is actually the, the smarter thing to do. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, could you imagine being one of those uh, repo guys, uh, re- re- repossessing cars? <laughs> <laughs> there was a show on American television that, that, that put, you know, the people have these SUVs and, 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 and driveways full of cars that they, well, uh, they're on someone else's ticket and they stopped paying the bill and eventually they got taken away from them. But, but the point of it is, is that, that Canadians are over indebted right now. You talked about the power of compounding. Well, when you owe debt, when you owe a lot of debt, you get the power of compounding in reverse. You, unless you pay it off, that interest is, it's going to be compounding. It's going to cost you money and you won't be able to get compounding working in your favor by investing for the long term. So we talked about the small cap index investing $100 for 50 or 60 years, turning to $750,000. You got to pay off your debt first before you can obviously take advantage of that. You know, my, my retirement plan for, for Brittany, when Brittany ever has a child, I'm going to give Brittany $100 and she's going to buy the small cap index for her child and I want to see what kind of a retirement plan. I'm going to be here in 68 years to observe that, of course, uh, to see what kind of retirement plan Brittany's child has. 100 bucks for Brittany's baby. Uh, yes, we're going to uh, go on air and uh, that'll be uh, our telethon and uh, see what happens. I was going to say, the next, the next 60 years won't be exactly as the, the previous 60, but it'll be very similar, I'm sure. Uh, the economies will continue to grow. There'll be hiccups along the way. There'll be some volatility. There'll be a lot of things that shake investors out but if you stick with the long-term plan dollar cost average invest in quality stuff i think you'd be okay yes well as mark twain said history does not repeat but it certainly does rhyme i'm out of time 
This is Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, producer, co-host, Brittany, working the board. It's a real pleasure to be here with you each and every Saturday morning on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. You have yourself a great day. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.